Good morning. Would you bow with me, please? Merciful God, we come this morning to give thanks and to say we love you. Father, you who spoke the world into existence, who created all things and sustained all things, you who created us for a purpose and love us despite our wanderings and our sinful nature, Lord, we praise you and thank you. From day to day and season to season, you never leave us. Father, we welcome this changing of the season and the advent of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. And on this chilly, rainy day, we have abundant joy and gratitude for all that you have done for us. Father, our prayers are many, and this morning we specifically pray for Reverend Bill and Cindy Hay. Lord, would your arms of love and peace wrap around them and give them assurance and comfort with their health issues. Lord, we also pray for Sandy and Mike Witten as he is battling cancer. Father, comfort them and please give them strength. We pray for the women's ministry concert this Thursday with Melanie Penn. Lord, that this would be a special time in fellowship and admiration for your continued blessings upon the women of this church. And Lord, we lift up your servant, Latasha Alston, as she serves through RUF at Howard University. We give thanks for her service to you, and we pray you would open the hearts of those students to come and have a meaningful relationship with you. Father, as the hymn goes, come thou fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. We give thanks as adopted sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, in the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. In 1997, a Presbyterian minister named Fred Rogers, better known as Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, won an award, an Emmy, for Lifetime Achievement. Uh, When he stood to receive that award, he was introduced with this big introduction. Lots of people cheered, and Mr. Rogers stood in front of everybody, and he said, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood, and people politely laughed. And then he said... So many people have helped me to be here and win this award tonight. And then he said, uh, some of you are here. Some of you are far away. Some are in heaven. And then he turned to the crowd and he said, we all have many people to thank. He said something like, all of us have many people who have loved us into existence and supported us and brought us to a place like tonight. And then he said something that was brilliant. He said, along with me, will you just take 10 seconds to think of the people who've sacrificed and loved you and done all they've done to bring you to be at this place tonight? And then he said, don't worry, I'll keep the the time. And he looked at his watch and let 10 seconds go by of complete silence. His big moment, he didn't make it about himself. He let everybody for a minute tune in to how life is filled with gifts, and it was a powerful moment of gratitude. He invited everyone in it, and as the cameras began to survey the audience of very impressive, very powerful, well-known people, you saw tears begin to stream down their faces as they began to think about the people who loved them and sacrificed for them and uh, helped them get to that place. It was a powerful moment for gratitude 
is truly powerful. Well, we just came out of the Thanksgiving holidays and uh, we've got a great passage today from Numbers chapter 21. It's all about Thanksgiving. Not really, but um, uh, it's just the passage anyone would choose to preach on a day like today. Uh, At first, when I read it, it's just going to remind you at first, I think, unless you've been looking at the Bible maps uh, in your study Bibles lately, it's going to remind you that these passages are very foreign to us culturally. Uh, we, we don't really know where Oboth is, and uh, we may not remember that the Arnon River runs, you know, east to west and separates Moab and Ammon, and you know, the, some of those things are a little distant to us. But here's what I want you to see today in this passage. We can give God thanks for really, really concrete reasons that are actually evidenced in the passage we're going to read today from Numbers 21, verse 10 through the first verse of chapter 22. Uh, When I read it, you're going to feel the cultural distance at first. But after I read it, as we begin to look at it together, I want you and me to see how great God is. And then our God is so patient and gracious and kind. He knows how to get his people moving in the right direction. He knows how to supply our every need. He knows how to change us from grumblers to those who sing his praises. Uh, He knows how to do the most important work that only he can do that we can't do for ourselves. And that's what our passage is about today. Several reasons for us to give thanks. Uh, Will you join me in this reading that's in your worship guide on pages 11 and 12, but also uh, in your Bible, Numbers 21. I'm going to read verse 10 uh, through 20 now. Please read along with me. And the people of Israel set out and camped in Oboth. And they set out from Oboth and camped at Ai Abarim, in the wilderness that is opposite Moab toward the sunrise. From here they set out and camped in the valley of Zered, and from there they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites, for the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of Yahweh, Oheb and Sufah, and the valleys of the Arnon, and the slope of the valleys that extends to the seat of Ar, and leans to the border of Moab. See what I mean? Okay. Verse 16, and from there they continued to Be'er, that is the well of which Yahweh said to Moses, gather the people together so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang the song, spring up, O well, sing to it. The well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug with the scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness, they went on to Matanah, and from Matanah to Nehaliel, and from Nehaliel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley lying in the region of Moab by the top of Pisgah that looks down on the desert. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We clearly need the Lord's help. Will you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Help us see today in this story that's so strange to us and distant to us. Help us see your faithfulness. Remind us to give you thanks for your faithful ways. But more than that, grant us gratitude in our heart of hearts. Draw from our hearts gratitude, praise, songs of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, today I want you to see that we can give thanks because God's good plan will in fact unfold 
for his people. And that's what we see in this passage. I know it wasn't super clear to you, uh, but what's happening in this passage is God's people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're at the very end of that 40 year period. And after uh, wandering in the wilderness because they didn't believe the Lord, it's at the end of that time. And now what you have is the people leaving from the south, from the wilderness area, uh, and they're beginning to move north and they're moving along the western border of the promised land going up from south of the Dead Sea, next to the Dead Sea, next to the Jordan, up further north. And they'll eventually come down. Look with me, flip over in your worship God and look at chapter 22, verse one. This is where God's people are going to end up. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. I hope that kind of sounds familiar because eventually that's exactly where God's people are going to cross the Jordan River from the wilderness uh, from the east side, uh, going over the river uh, into the promised land. So if you think about it, uh, they're down here in the wilderness. They're in there moving uh, up. They're moving north. And here's uh, the rivers above my head, the Jordan River. Here's the promised land over here um, on the west. And they're moving from south to north. And they're on the east side of the river. And they basically move down from, uh, they go around Edom. They pass through Moab. They pass through where the Amorites are. They go up to Bashan and they win some battles there. And so here's the big point in, in showing you that God's people are finally moving in the right direction. And that's a really, really good thing. They've been wandering for 40 years and now they're finally moving up where they can cross into the promised land because that is God's plan for them. Think about that. They've resisted God's plan. They've complained against God. They've complained against his leadership. They've complained about everything that he's given them, but he's still the faithful God. And that second generation, they're on their march. They're moving the right direction and they're going to go into the promised land. God's plan does roll out for God's people. It does unfold for his people. And so uh, three quick ways to see that in these strange verses, uh, they're moving in the right direction. We just said that. Uh, Think about it. Uh, This passage says over and over again, they set out and camped. They set out and camped. They set out and camped. Now we don't have this map that they named in our heads. Most of us don't have that map, but we know the technology. It was a cloud by day and a pillar of pillar of fire by night. When you hear they set out and camp, they set out and camp, they set out and camp, what you're hearing is a reference to the faithful guidance of God. He's leading his people right to the place that he said he would lead them. One day they're going to get their inheritance. He's already given it to them. All they have to do is believe and follow him and they're going to get it. And so this passage shows us God's faithfulness. Uh, his guidance for them. Uh, but also look at God's provision. Not only is God faithfully guiding them to, the, to the go to the right place, they can enter the land and receive it, but God's generously supplying their needs along the way. Look at verse 16. And from there they continued to, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sorry, it's not beer, uh, if that got you excited, but it's Be'er. Uh, that is the well of which Yahweh said to Moses, gather the people together so that I may give them water. That is who Yahweh is. That's his generous heart all along. Even when they hit the very dry and arid places where there was, where there was no water, if they had simply turned to him and asked for it, it was always his to give. He's generous. And then look at verse 17. Then, then Israel sang this song. What? 
Now, I have some good news for you. Uh, last week, the beginning of chapter 21, the second generation, they were just like their parents and they were grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And they said, we don't, there's no water, there's no food. We, our lips despise this daily manna. <sighs> Guess what? It's the last grumbling passage in the whole book. Isn't that a relief? Yeah. And so just think about this enormous reversal that we're seeing. It's a weird map and it feels so distant, but the people have gone from grumbling to singing. That's a profound change. They're moving in the right direction. They're not grumbling. They're singing the Lord's praises. They're singing in joy and gratitude. Spring up, O well. Sing to the well that the Lord led us to. And the people got involved. Uh, He led them to the right place. And the the leaders and the people, they dug it together. And then the water gushed out and they sang a song. That, my friends, if you've been here and you've been reading the numbers, that's a profound difference. It's a real reversal. They're going in the right direction. They're singing and not complaining. But then the part I didn't read, if you look down at the bottom of page 11, uh, it says Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. So they're, they're moving north here. And if you flip the page, then you're going to see in a little while, uh, it goes on for about Sihon, the king of the Amorites for a while. You have some, uh, some more poetry there. And then verses 31 and following, uh, Israel lived in the land of the Amorites, but then they, they run into Og, the king of Bashan, and that's even further to the north. So basically what you're being told in the story is they move from Moab up to Amorites. They defeat Sihon there. Then they go up to Bashan. They defeat, they defeat Og there. They're winning victories. Remember when they first got to the land, the Lord brought them to the promised land and 10 of the spies said, we cannot go in. They're giants in the land. We don't have what it takes. Everyone except for Joshua and Caleb. Now God has led his people back up again and they're on the east side of the Jordan River and they're looking uh, into the land, but they're winning victories as they go. And here's what's remarkable at the end of this generation. God's people are going to keep this land that they win from defeating Sihon, uh, the king of the, the leader of the Amorites, and also uh, Og, the king of Bashan. Uh, God's people are going to inherit this land. So in other words, even though they've been disobedient and recalcitrant and struggled, they're going to get the promised land and even more land. That's how good and generous God is. He fulfills his promises to people and he even gives them more than he promised them in the first place. And this is the beginning of seeing that. So that's our first point. We can give God thanks because God's plan will unfold for his people, just like it unfolded for his people here in this generation where they're going through all those weird place names that we don't recognize. The same is true for you, God's covenant people. God has a plan to rescue you and sanctify you and his plan, no one can stop it. God has a plan to gather us and and fill us and, and change us and transform us and no one can change God's plan. God has a plan to gather us and grow us as his people. God has a plan to use us in reaching our neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ. God has a plan to use us and our partners to reach the nations for the glory of Jesus Christ. God has a plan for all that and you're participating in it and nobody can stop it. Because God's plan does unfold for his people. You're in that plan. We are God's people. And that's really good news. But I want you to notice as we go to our second point that this is a profound reversal, right? Uh, They've been wandering in in the wilderness. Now they're moving in the right direction. They've been grumbling, complaining. Now they're singing. There's songs and poetry in the passage. 
Uh, they were losing. Now they're winning. It seems like there's this big, big turnaround. I want you to, to see in the story, uh, looking at last week's passage and this week's passage, I want you to see the simple, simple thing that led to this massive rever- reversal. Um, and so uh, how did this reversal come about? Secondly, we can give thanks because there was one simple act that led to this profound reversal, one really simple act at first. And that was this. See, what happened was there, there was that last grumbling story, the second generation, they had inherited the, the pattern of their parents' um, unbelief and, and grumbling. They would grumbled themselves. And what happened? Uh, the Lord sent those fiery serpents those fiery serpents bit the people. So people began to die. So God's righteous, hot judgment landed on his people because of their unbelief and their rebellion. But here's, here's the simple thing that happened. We saw it in last week's passage. But this is what led to this big reversal. The people humbled themselves before God. And you know what they did? They, they went to the Lord and Moses and said, it's really simple. We sinned. We sinned. S-I-N-N-E-D. We sinned. It's our fault. We were in the wrong. So simple. They owned their sin. They said, we're guilty. We sinned. And then they turned to the mediator that God had given them, Moses. And they said, Moses, please pray for us. We sinned. We blew it. And they turned to the mediator God had provided and said, oh, please pray and ask Yahweh to take the snakes away. And he did. And you remember the, the remarkable way that he did? Um, the snakes eventually went away, but until then, uh, he had Moses uh, take a snake, copper or bronze snake, and attach it to a pole and lift the pole in the desert. And what was the message? If you get bit by one of these fiery snakes, if anyone just looks at the serpent lifted up in the desert, that person will live and not die. And then we saw last week that Jesus said, yeah, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall, and he talked about himself, so shall the son of man be lifted up so that if anyone believes in him, that person should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Jesus said. And so the, the reversal from all of the misery and all the grumbling and all the failure to all of a sudden going in the right direction, singing versus grumbling, Having victories came down to a very simple place. The people saw their sin and said, the problem is us. Please help us. It was that simple. Do you believe that? Do you believe that going from a heart entangled by grumbling and being replaced by a heart of singing songs of salvation is as simple as looking at God and saying, I've sinned and I'll look at the salvation that you've sent because that's how the story of the Bible works. Think about it. Uh, uh, grumbling is, is, is part of our old ancient native tongue. Uh, and why is that the case? Why is grumbling so natural and so frequent and so prevalent in our mouths and in our hearts and our lives? Uh, we're born sinful. We're, we're born selfish. We're focused on ourselves. And we process all of life with ourselves at the center. We process relationships with ourselves at the center. We process situations with ourselves at the center. And when I'm the center of my mindset, when I'm the center, my desires, my wants, my privileges, my rights, when that's the center of how I'm thinking about myself, my life, my career, my marriage, my family, my friends, my activities, when I'm the center of everything, I'm living in a very, very tiny metaphorical phone booth. 
I'm crammed in this tiny little space with me at the center. And here's what's bound to come is a lot of grumbling and complaining because it never is as satisfying as I think it is to get my way and to have my way. Thank you. And when I see that I put myself at the center of all reality, not just uh, me in front of you and me in front of my wife and me in front of my situations, but before God himself, when I realized I've lived for my own glory and lived for myself, for my comfort, for my rights, for my way, who cares about the glory of God or the plan of God? When I see that that's the truth, uh, here's what can take me from that tiny prison house of self and grumbling to a heart that's set free with joy and songs of salvation. I look at the one true creator, God, who made everything, and I said, I sinned. I made it about me. I thought I existed for my glory. I thought I existed for, for my honor. I thought everything was for me to get my way. This is your world, God. It's not my world. I sinned. And then we look at the mediator that God sent. And who is the mediator but his own son? who said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent, so shall the son of man be lifted up so that if anyone looks at him and believes in him, that person will not perish as they deserve to do, but have everlasting life in his name. If you've lived through that change, then your heart is now being filled with songs of praise and thanksgiving. I hope you know that being in a regular gathering where people sing their hearts out is strange. It's culturally strange. People don't do it as frequently and as often anymore. It's wonderfully unique and different. So to be here as God's gathered people, to be gathered by the Lord in his presence and to thank him for what he's done, to name who he is and what his salvation is and to sing his praise, as weird as it is, it is wonderful. It's what you and I were made for, and it's a foretaste of the singing we'll do when our hearts are fully restored and we'll sing in God's presence. So one of the ways that uh, this big reversal came about was the people were convicted. They said, we sinned, and they turned to the Lord. Uh, that's how this reversal came about. But there's a deeper reason that, the, that it came about, and, and that's this. We can give thanks for the deeper magic at work in this passage, or we can give thanks because God's plan unfolds within God's people. Just want to show you, remind you of the chronology of the passage last week's passage in this one. Uh, God's people rebelled against God. They dishonored God through their complaining. God brought his righteous judgment. They confessed their sin. They turned to the mediator that he provided, and then he brought them to this place. They began to have victories. They began to have joy, and God filled the wilderness with water. That's a whole lot like the pattern of the New Testament that you and I live in today. I hope you can see it. Look, turn with me to the very front of the worship God, those quotes on page one. Jesus didn't just say in John's gospel, even as Moses lifted the serpent, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus also said to people living a wilderness life. Look at this quote in the middle. This is what Jesus said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wait a minute. 
This is where the, the, our little passage about spring up, oh well, sing to it. That's an early thread in the biblical story. And it's leading to this thing that Jesus says. See, they were in the wilderness and they had no hope. They couldn't rescue themselves. They couldn't save themselves. But God was generous and what he provided them was water in the wilderness. Now you get to John 7. You know what Jesus is saying to people who believe in him? Not just if you, he said, it, if you're thirsty, come to me and you won't thirst again. But then he says to people living in the wilderness, I will make you an oasis. Did you read it? Did you see the words? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, not only will I quench your thirst, what does he say? Out of his heart, the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying to people like you and me, yes, I know that you have a grumbly heart. I've dealt with that. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up. If anyone looks at him, oh, if anyone believes in him, he'll be forgiven. He'll have everlasting life. If you look at Jesus, believe in him, you're forgiven. Next step. If you believe in Jesus, rivers of living water will fro, flow, fro is not a word, flow from your former grumbly heart to your new heart, made new in Christ Jesus. Do you see how perfect and powerful the work of Jesus Christ is? If you believe in Jesus, your heart is changed, you're given a new heart, and now you not, not only become someone whose thirst is quenched, you become an oasis in the desert, in the wilderness for others. It's not something you conjure. It's not a seven-step process. It's based on faith. If you believe in Jesus, what is he talking about? He's talking about the gift of the Spirit. God's own Spirit will take up habitation in your life, and you'll become a source of life and hope and blessing to others because you're in Christ Jesus, and the Spirit of Christ is in you. What a promise. Oasis people, can you think, we'll do like Dr. Like, sorry, not Dr. Mike, Fred Rogers did, Mr. Rogers did. Before we come to the table where we receive God's ongoing grace and mercy and strength to be filled and strengthened to be oasis people in the wilderness, will you take just a few seconds and think about, first of all, where are the places where God's calling you to be an oasis? Where are those places? Don't worry, I'll keep the time. Secondly, think about the different ways that God has already filled your heart and your hands with his blessings that you might be an oasis. Who has God used? What has God used uh, to give you joy in the spirit so you have life to give in the spirit to others. Take a few seconds and think about that. If my words today make no sense to you, it could be related to the weaknesses of the speaker, or it could be that you haven't met Jesus yet. 
And if these words are very bewildering to you and you can't understand being an oasis, will you come and talk to me? I'd love to talk to you about it more intimately. Let's pray and meet the king at his table. Oh, Lord Jesus, how thankful we are that you gave your life for us. Would you strengthen us with your gracious presence now so that we who believe in you might be further strengthened, quench our thirst at your your table, give us grace and strength at your table, remind us that you've made us your oasis people through the Spirit. Amen.